Good morning. We are uh, in the last uh, Sunday in the month of October, October 31. Anyone notice that this was October 31, the last Sunday in the month of October and the last Sunday in this series of sermons, Radical Hospitality. Really grateful for Clark and his help in preparing this short video to kind of thematically pull us through the month as we think about a radical hospitality and um, am looking forward to this next month, the month of November, the three Sundays leading up to uh, Thanksgiving, a series of sermons we're calling Deep Gratitude. Appreciate Ricky's work uh, to pull uh, together uh, this journal, uh, which will uh, definitely serve our, our youth and but families, but all of you, really. And so we hope that you'll take a copy of this and we'll live more deeply into uh, the gratitude um, Gratitude for God is a central practice in our lives that will draw us deeper into God's life. And so we're looking forward uh, to that. And, and uh, really thankful um, for Raymond and his ability to call us, point us uh, deeply into Scripture, to unite our voices in praise together, grateful for his uh, gift. Where is William? William read Scripture for us today. William, you did a great job. Come, come join me here for a second. He didn't know I was going to do this. But I'm going to make him come up here anyway. Uh, how many of you noticed the change in the weather? Come on up here. Uh, change in the weather this week? Accompanied by strong winds, yes? Um, it's a beautiful time of the year, isn't it? Crisp and cool in the mornings and the evenings. It's the kind of the year where you want fall flannel. I'm just saying, <laughs> fall flannel. So, do you know, William, do you know um, how, if you watch sports, you watch sports on TV, and after games, they sometimes swap jerseys? So I'm thinking, maybe after service, meet me in the back, we'll swap flannel. And, no, I'm just kidding, we're not going to take our shirts off and give them to each other, but... Um, Hey, I want to pray for William and, and really uh, for all our youth, all the young um, men and women that God leads to be a part and journey with us. I want to do that today as we begin. So would you join me? God, we're thankful for your gifts. They are so many, and we pray that you would lead us into deeper gratitude, a deeper sense of your spirit uh, in us and among us, and especially uh, in generations that are coming behind us. And so I thank you for William, for his willingness to read Scripture for us today, to hold the Word of God before us. I thank you for all uh, those of his generation who are part of our life and family, for young men and women who are seeking you. And I pray that you would deepen their desire for you, and that for all of us, you would deepen our sense to encourage and bless uh, this generation, this rising uh, generation. So hear our prayer uh, of thanks and gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, William. And I do like that shirt. Word of God for us today is William has shared it with us comes from Matthew 22. Matthew 22. And so um, we'll dwell there uh, in our time in Scripture this morning. It's astonishing, really, if you think about it. Can you imagine the most elaborate, extravagant event, long-prepared, much-anticipated, 
all of the planning and preparation and all of the work and expense, the most extravagant event, and when it comes time for the event, no one shows up. No one. Can you imagine? Um, I can. So I'll tell you a story. Some of you may have heard me share before that I sort of began my uh, life in ministry while I was a college student with a small little country church just west of Abilene, between Abilene and Sweetwater in Trent, Texas. Remember this? Some of you may remember me telling about our time in Trent. And how we lived in the little parsonage, Gaina and I had, had married while in school, and we moved into the little church house uh, just adjacent from the church building, and we lived there, and the good people wanted to, you know, love on this young couple, and so they gave us a, a dog. We had a pet dog named PJ, stood for Puppy Johnson, it's clever like that, Puppy Johnson, and then, then we had uh, chi chickens, they gave us some hens, and so we built a little coop, and we had fresh eggs, and that was fun, and we had a garden, and, and all of that, that was uh, our time in ministry um, churches really raise up ministers, and that was our experience as well. But it was maybe in the first summer that we were there, my birthday's in August, that my wife decided it'd be a great idea to host a party for my birthday out in Trent at our house. And she's a great party planner. And so she went to all the fuss of making food and the cake and all of that and inviting people. And I remember we, we did this outside. And so we went over to the church and we got tables and chairs and we set up tables and chairs all outside under the trees and um, brought the food out on a table there for folks when they came. And we waited for people to come. And we waited for people to come. Yeah, I see some of the expressions on your faces. <laughs> she went... I see where this is going. This is not good. Uh, yep, that's right. I am not making this story up. No one came to my birthday party. I, I tell the story from time to time. I always get that response. No one showed up. In fact, we were sitting outside in a couple of the chairs with all the other tables and chairs set up. And at one point, we looked at each other and thought, you know, the neighbors around are going to notice that all this is set up, and no one is here. And so we said, we scrambled, actually. We, we, we took down chairs and tables. And we rushed them inside. We put it all away, and we went inside, and we had a little party just for me, for the two of us. It's a sad story. Can you imagine that you would plan a party like that, and no one would show up? I'm not sure what accounts for that. We can talk about that later. But it's a true story. I guess uh, the only thing I can think of that would be more astonishing than a scenario like that would be to imagine a wedding where you go to all the fuss and trouble that we do for weddings, and it's time for the wedding, everything's prepared, and no one shows up. I mentioned my wife's a really good party planner. She's also a very good wedding planner. 
And so uh, I'm telling this story mostly just so you get to know a little bit about us and our family. So uh, my oldest daughter, Claire, was married in 2014 in Abilene, Texas. She married a young man, our son-in-law, who she went to high school with, was a year ahead of her. They dated all through college. He went off to school in New Jersey at Princeton. She went to ACU. They dated all this time. And then after her graduation in May, we had their wedding in July in Abilene. And it was, I'm telling you, in her sweet spot. You ever want to know when my wife is in her zone? Get her working on wedding stuff. And she goes, this, uh, next, I think there's a picture of Claire. This is Claire and my son-in-law, Alec. This would be another good place for awe. Yeah, thank you. Right on cue. Um, just this last January 2020, different wedding, not in Abilene. My second daughter, Emily, was married to her fiancé, uh, Darius, pictured here. In, thank you. You guys are good. This is in Charleston, South Carolina. Different kind of party, different kind of wedding, but I'm telling you, she was in her zone. I can hardly imagine. Thank you for showing those pictures. I can hardly imagine. We go to all this trouble, lay all these plans, and for the dads in the room, go to all this expense. And no one would show up. I can hardly imagine it, but this is the story that Jesus tells. And if in the hearing of it, as William came and read these verses, or if you're looking at it, if you miss the astonishing nature of this story, well, let's just take a moment to think about how astonishing it is that the story plays out this way. Jesus is telling the story about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, of God's rule of God moving towards us and finally drawing things together as they propel towards the end when God gathers all things and sets all things right. He's saying that it's breaking in even now. And as he says that, he begins to tell stories about what it's like. The kingdom of heaven is like this and the kingdom of heaven is like that. And here in Matthew 22, he says, did you hear? The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet that a king prepares and throws for his son. He did all the planning. He went to all the trouble. He made all the preparations. He went to all the expense. And when kings throw banquets, they're extravagant banquets. He sent out the invitations, as you do. And no one shows up. No one shows up. And the king's not deterred, right? If you read on the rest of the story, the king's not deterred. He gathers his servants and he sends them out with more invitations. Wait a minute. Maybe those invitations went to some other people, but it really just leaves the sense that he sent out invitations again a second time. I don't know. Maybe they were lost in the mail. Maybe people misplaced them. Let's send a reminder. So he sends the invitations out again. This time, he wants to make sure that when you deliver the invitation, tell them about the menu because it's going to be really great. And so he says, remind them, I've killed the fatted calf. It's the choicest of all foods. It's going to be great. Remind them. And what happens? Still, no one comes. 
It's astonishing. No one comes. In fact, it says, they have all kinds of excuses. It says they don't come because one is busy in his field and another is busy with their business. No one shows up. The story doesn't end there. Jesus says, the king sends the invitation a third time because you know what? The party's going to happen. The party's going to happen. And so a third time, he sends out the invitation. And this time, he sends his servants to the streets, to every street corner. And anyone you can find, it says, the good and the bad. The good and the bad. Anyone that you can find, every street corner. And guess what happens? Well, not this time. (laughs) This time, they packed the place, right? They packed the place. I love this story. So does he. I love this story, and maybe it's because I had that party where no one showed up. And if you ever have that experience, you're going to love a story like this. Maybe it's because... Um, for the people of God, there has always been this longing, this anticipation that God is coming and that a seat at God's table fills the deepest longing, not only of our stomachs, but of our souls. The deepest longing, the deepest need, the deepest desire is to sit at the table with Jesus. And not only with Jesus, but because Jesus has gathered us there, it's to sit with each other. To know a sense of community and a sense of belonging and a sense of place where everyone has a seat and everyone has a name. It's a beautiful picture to sit and not worry about where you have to be next. I wish I had the statistic on the amount of time taken in a meal for the average American. I bet it would be a small number. But to sit... And share food, sustenance for life. And to share community in the fellowship of the Spirit. It is our deepest longing. So maybe that's why we like a story like this. Because it pictures God's great move towards us to prepare a place. And to invite us all to be joined around a table like this. Or maybe I like this story because I like the idea of preaching a sermon where the servants of God are sent out into the highways and the byways, every street corner to find the good and the bad and to compel them, to invite them, to say, you got to come. And to imagine how as they greet them in every street corner, in every back alley, their eyes light up and say, me? You're inviting me? Surely not. Because parties like that aren't for people like me. And we get to say, oh, yes, they are. Let's go. We throw our arm over his or her shoulder. We escort them in and see the joy that comes from participating in the great party, the great feast, the great community of the Spirit. Man, I like the idea of a church on fire sent out to every place to find every good and bad and everyone in between and say, you know what? 
There's a place for you. I want to preach a sermon like that. Can you tell? I want to preach a sermon like that. Where the room is filled with the tired and the lonely and the left out. And the truth is we are called to be that kind of people. Everything within me wells up at the thought of a church on fire to move to the streets or to move across the differences and divides that separate us. To say, yes, you're included here too. You're at home here too. Yet you have a place here too. To say to a generation that often isn't sure what to make of all this that we do week in and week out, you have a place here too. At this table. I love this story. Until I realize, (laughs) get this, we aren't the servants sent out to invite people. Plot twist. That's how I want to preach it. Look, church, all of you, God's preparing a feast, a banquet, and he's sending you out to find people to come to his banquet. And you find them wherever you can find them. That's the way I want to preach it. But if the truth were told, in this story, as it sits, as Jesus told it, we're not the servants sent out to find the others. When Jesus tells this story, the ones who are invited, not the ones sent with the invitation, the ones who are invited are God's own people, are us. And the ones who refuse to show up in this story, I'm telling you, are God's own people, are us. That's the thing. We're the ones that don't show up at the party. It's us. It's difficult for us to get our heads around that because we've always imagined that because we are God's people, followers of Jesus, that we are the ones who are bringing the love of God into the world. We're bringing the kingdom of God into the world. We're the possessors of God's kingdom and of God's good news. And the world is the recipients of what we possess. And so, The kingdom is something that we usher in. But nowhere in the story of Scripture is the kingdom of God something we bring or we possess. The kingdom of God is something bigger than us, beyond us, not something we possess. It goes before us. Scripture uses language like this. The kingdom of God goes before us. The kingdom of God is breaking out around us. The kingdom of God is something we join, not something we possess. Here we are so busy with getting on with our own business. And I'm going to invite you to imagine this, that the business that we get on with isn't just our everyday workaday life, whatever we do, the jobs we do, or endless activities with our families, that that's not the busyness that's referenced here, but that the business we're about is something else. What if when Jesus says that they were all too busy in their fields or with their business, 
Maybe he even means we who are so busy with the practice of our faith, our religion that we've set up for ourselves right here, that we miss the invitation to join the inbreaking of God's kingdom. Now, I'm going to pause for just a second because you need to stop and kind of get your head around that for a second. What I believe is that God's people have long anticipated the coming of God's kingdom, right? From the promises made to Abraham, down through the prophets, right up to Jesus' day, they've been waiting on the Messiah and waiting on the kingdom of God to come. And when it comes, they miss it because they're too busy in the practice of their own religion. Right? What if, what if, God's kingdom is breaking in all around us. And we who gather here in Jesus' name miss it because we're too busy with the practice of our faith, even as we've constructed it. What if we miss the invitation to join the breaking in breaking of God's kingdom movement if he keeps what if he keeps sending messengers into our midst to invite us to join but we keep running them off because they don't quite fit how we want to construct it or shape it or practice it or because they look a little different or they hold a different view or they think different politically? What if we keep running them off? Well, I suspect that that doesn't mean that God's kingdom's not going to come. It's going to come. It's going to come in every place where God intends for it to come. What if the kingdom of God is breaking out in new forms around us and we're missing it? We're missing out on it. It seems to me that this is the problem with our roots in the restoration tradition, of which I am a recipient, a grateful recipient of the tradition. But the restoration tradition that birthed churches of Christ as we know it, focused on Scripture and restoring the life and the forms of the New Testament church, with a heavy, heavy emphasis on the forms if we could just restore these forms, these practices, we would have restored the church. Except you can restore forms and miss the life. You can restore and construct forms as you like them and conceive them and miss the invitation to what God's doing as God moves before us. Yes? If in this story, we are the ones who refuse to come to the party, I just want to say again, rest assured that the party's going to happen. It's going forward with or without us. God intends for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. To restore all things. To bring the new creation. To mend every broken place, every broken heart, every broken spirit. And the invitation 
is for us to get in on it on God's terms. Jesus says it like this in other places. He says, suppose you have, um, there's one who has a hundred sheep and loses track of one of them. And imagine that he's going to leave the 99 to go and find the one. And when he finds the one, he's going to pick it up on his shoulders. I'm trying to think about what that must be like. And carry it home with great rejoicing. And if you read this story in Luke 15, it says he's going to walk home with that one. And he's going to call all his friends and neighbors and invite them to the party. And then he says, suppose there's a woman and she has 10 silver coins, precious coins. It's all that she has really of monetary value and she loses one of them. Isn't she going to turn her house over day and night? Probably look at her husband and say, you can't find anything. (laughs) She's going to look in every... She will not stop. It will be ceaseless until she finds it. And when she does, you know what she's going to do? She's going to go to every one of her neighbors and say, I found it. I found it. Come and celebrate with me. That's what it says. And in this succession of stories, which is really about the nature of the kingdom of God, it says next, suppose there's a father who has two sons. Are you following this? We've gone from 100 to 10 to 2. Two sons. And you know this story. And the father divides his inheritance and the younger son takes his and he goes and he squanders it in wild living and he wastes it until one day he wakes up and his life's a mess and in shambles and he's desperate. He's feeding with the pigs. There's a contrast here between the party and the end and where he ends up and what he's, where he's eating earlier in the story, right? And he come, it says he comes to his senses and he begins to make his way back home, but he knows to make his way back home is going to be a walk of shame. Because in his time and place, the community, the village is everything and everyone knows that when he went to his father and said, give me my share of the inheritance that he was disrespecting his father in the most severe way. And everyone knows what he's gone off to do with his life and what he did of all that his father had freely given him. Yet he makes his way back home. He knows that as he makes his way toward the village, there'll be the children who are playing on the outskirts of the village because he's seen this happen before. He knows that they'll be playing on the outskirts of the village and that when they see him coming down the road, they're going to know who he is and that they're going to be the first one, the children are, to ridicule him. And so as he begins to approach the village, do you know what happens? He's prepared himself for that sense of shame. And before he could even get to that point, his father sees him from a distance and is filled with such overwhelming joy that he begins to run 
through the streets of the village and out the road toward the direction where he's coming from. He begins to run for, uh, toward him. And, and not only that, but do you know what he's wearing? He's wearing a long gown, a robe. And that to be able to run in that, you have to reach down and gather it up. This is sort of girded around your loins, right? Language. He has to and run towards him, exposing his legs. Do you know how shameful that is in that culture? Everyone around him would look and say, he's lost his ever-loving mind. He's gone crazy, that one. He's taken on the shame that the son was to endure, and he's taken it on himself. And he's run to him, and he's greeted him, and he's told his servants to put a robe on him because he's in bad shape. He does not look good. And to put a ring on his finger and to prepare the feast. Invites him to the party, the grandest of parties. Because that's the radical hospitality of God. And when they get there and they throw the party and this great celebration is taking place, it's the older brother who hears what's going on in the distance and says, what is this? My father has lost his ever-loving mind. And he says, why are you doing this? And he, uh, the language here in Luke 15 says, he was angry and he refused to go in. And as much as the story is told about that younger son, it is more so told to those of us on the inside about the refusal to go into the party to answer the invitation to join God where God is moving. My hope and prayer is that somehow in the journey that we've shared together over these last five weeks, we've heard stories about how God comes near in the presence of the stranger and the alien how if we want to be with Jesus, we're simply to find a seat alongside the least of these. That God is welcoming and moving in the end. What I want to say is that, look, God's kingdom is breaking out among us and around us. We just have to choose to join it. My prayer is that God would give us the courage, the faith, that empowered by God's Holy Spirit, we will be moved together to say, you know what? I'm not sure about all this. Some of this stuff I see and I hear going on out there, I don't get that at all. And yet together, we pray in the Spirit that God would give us eyes to move and join and learn and and participate in the great party, in the great banquet, in the great feast.
that we would be guests in the extravagant goodness of God's radical hospitality. So we come to this table in just moments. We come to this table not just to keep the form of our religion, but to live into the spirit of it. Because this table is connected to every other table. This table, I'm pointing as if there were one here, the table of the Lord. This table is connected to your dining room table. And is connected to the table at the restaurant. And is connected to the table at your neighbor's when they invite you to join, this table is connected, I'm going to use this figuratively now, to the crazy, sometimes strange-sounding, strange-looking table of a generation God is raising up if we have the courage to join him there. So come to the table. Find your place. God's inviting us to join him. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would stir our hearts and sharpen our mind that we might desire you more fully and the deep longing to dwell in communion with you, in relationship with you, would lead us to dwell deeply in communion and relationship with each other. Lead us to this table and forgive us, O oh God, where you have invited us you have sent your messengers among us, and we have been too busy, too preoccupied with our constructs of your life and your kingdom to join you where you are. Lead us forward in the name and in the grace of Jesus, we pray. Amen.